Contemporary Art Presents Hot Takes, a podcast about art and activism put on by MCA Denver Leadership Program alumni in collaboration with community creatives and activists. The MCA Denver is always free for teens under 18, and we offer a variety of leadership programming yearly, as well as offer workshops and other ways of getting involved with the community. This podcast was born from the creative minds of teens who are in our alumni offhand program, and that is us. This podcast episode is on environmentalism and its intersection with the art world with both Dorothy and Polly. We are gathered on the unceded land of the Oglala Sioux, Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples, the original stewards of this territory. We ask you to join us in acknowledging the Oglala Sioux, Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho community, their elders both past and present, as well as future generations. The Museum of Contemporary Art Denver also acknowledges that it was founded upon exclusions and erasures of many indigenous peoples, including those whose lands this institution is located. This acknowledgement demonstrates a commitment to the beginning process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of settler colonialism. Why are land acknowledgements important? In a museum setting, we are often the moving force behind important conversations in society. To begin the work of unraveling the impacts of settler colonialism, a land acknowledgement opens the conversation and begins the act. It is important to dismantle the myth of the United States and to acknowledge how the wealth of America was created through the subjugation of indigenous, black, and people of color. Land acknowledgements are a practice in truth-telling. Though important, they are not the extent of the work any institution should be doing to dismantle the legacies of settler colonialism. So I'm Katie Casper. I'm an artist and a regenerative gardener. My mission is to cultivate joy and vitality by connecting people to each other and to the land where we live, work, and play. I mostly do murals. I also do some regenerative gardens, and um, I do some laser-cut wood sculptures, and soon, hopefully, kind of delving into the world of uh, public art 3D sculptures, too. My name's Max Becker, and uh, I'm in a rock band called Swimmers, and we've been in this band. I'm 20, I'm almost 28. I've been in this band since I was 10, and so we've kind of explored all the different levels of what it's like to be a band, and we've seen how detrimental it is to uh, the environment actually the whole music industry is total it's a total uh it's hard it's hard because you get all these most musicians are liberals but we're taking part in all this this waste so my perspective being in a band is to try to figure out ways we can change how we tour and we've been doing that for a few years and currently no projects because covid but we're actually in the middle we have band practice today but all of our bands fully vaxxed. And um, this is the first time we've played full volume together since October 2019. So it's been pretty nice. I'm going to start with Max. Who is your favorite artist, be that uh, musician or visual or however you define it? Wow. Amazing question. Um, Got to funnel this in. My favorite artist is actually, uh, this is an easy one, actually, is a writer. And his name is Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> that is by far who I connect with the most as any form of art. It's just what he's saying just connects. Who is my favorite artist? Goodness, that is really a tough one. Um, There are several artists that I follow. It's hard to really pick one that is my favorite. There's one right now that I am pretty in love with. I love the work that she does. Um, her name's Mona Carone, and she's a muralist who paints giant weeds on buildings, which I actually have sort of followed her lead a little bit in one of my 
recent projects that he finished up last year. So um, if you don't know who Mona Crone is, I recommend checking her work out. I believe she actually recently did a mural on um, a brewery in the Rhino Art District recently, painted some really beautiful hops on the building. All right, this one, either of you can answer, but how important is sustainability to each of you? Okay, well, I think that sustainability is very, very important um, in all aspects of life. I would actually throw a little caveat in there that I am drawn more to the word regenerative, actually, because I feel like sustainability is not enough these days, you know, because if we're just going to be sustainable, what are we sustaining? We're we're sustaining a a way of life that is already kind of degraded, you know, whereas as humans, we actually have the ability to regenerate. Um, We can, you know, it takes nature 200 years to create an inch of fertile topsoil, but as humans and with our abilities, we can do it in a season, right? So we can actually regenerate. So I think that in all I do, in all of my work, in all of my conversations with people, I always bring up this idea of um, regenerative, regenerative living. And um, my work is very rooted in the principles of regenerative living, particularly when it comes to our our food and our land. Because as humans, we are just causing so much mass destruction by the way that we develop and the way that we're living and our consumptions. And I think that we have to really take this this idea of um, sustaining um, to be able to live on the planet. But, but I think in order to actually do that, we've reached this tipping point where we actually have to regenerate. Wonderful. For me, it's I come from a place kind of like actually Denver where it's like mostly pretty forward thinking people I'm from the Bay Area and the minute you leave the Bay Area you realize that oh my gosh you were in a bubble this whole time because you grew up composting and all this sort of thing and then you go to New York and they don't even recycle but then you then you learn like oh recycling doesn't even do anything (laughs) so you go on this whole path so it's been a part of who I am since I was three, since since they start teaching you about environmentalism in school, you're so young. It's great. But what it means to me is trying to understand that I came from a bubble and that the, the rest of the world has a long way to go still. And to be kind of, it's really easy as a Californian to preach certain ways and make people not want to, you know, not want to affect positive change towards the environment because they're like, oh, you stuck up Californian. So my, what it means to me is trying to maintain my integrity as a Californian and trying to make people want to be environmentally conscious with me wherever I go, because I travel all over the world. So that's, that's what it means to me, it's trying to let people in. And uh, on that, Max, do you think it's impossible in some sense to do these eco-friendly tours? Yeah, it is. <laughs> because... At least it, it, it's not, it's not, um, it's, yeah, it's not possible at this day and age, but it might be possible at some point. Uh, I think the fact that a lot of people want to is good. But I mean, if I told you when we went on our first tour, I was 15, the amount of bottled water we went through in a single day, bottled water in the music industry is like currency. It was looking back on it, it makes you shiver. But just to see how far we've come in the last 10 years, to act 13 years um is is really uh it makes you feel good so it's not impossible but it's still we still just there's a lot of things that need to happen you know not even just that but the amount of fossil fuels we burn by traveling all over the place right 
you know, at first there was like all these musicians wanted to be vegan, which is great, but that still doesn't really impact what's happening in the world. What like on the greater scale, it doesn't like it impacts like from an individual standpoint, which is good, but most people don't want to be vegan. And so there's still just a long way to go, but it's, it's possible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think about it. And I have, I still kind of struggle with it, mostly on a daily basis, even. Um, I've even had my own health issues working with spray paint on my murals. I had to, because, you know, it's in the summer, and you're outside, and you want to, like, be wearing shorts and tank tops. And I would always wear a respirator, but um, I was still having issues. And my doctor said I actually have to cover up my whole skin because that stuff actually comes in through your skin too. And that helped a lot. But the fact that, uh, you know, that's happening to me, I mean, I worry about what I'm doing to the the air in general when I'm spraying these toxic chemicals, right? Um, And so I definitely fantasize about kind of creating my own paints where they're food-based and they are made with like essential oils so even the process of creating the art you're bathing in this like healing cloud of you know beautiful colors delicious scents um so that's definitely like one of my future projects I think obviously the problem with that is that it makes it so the art is either temporary or ephemeral right because you know you need those sort of toxic chemicals to make it last longer uh so maybe it still would require like a toxic clear coat to make it last longer. Um, So you're definitely always kind of balancing with those two things. Like, do you make art that's ephemeral and maybe you just take the photos of it and those are what lasts instead of the art itself so that it is more eco-friendly? Or do you want to create something that is more permanent and maybe perhaps a little bit toxic in its process and with its materials that can then last forever so your message just lasts longer? I'm always, always kind of working with those two sort of things pulling at each other. And uh, Katie, with that dilemma, do you think there are any sacrifices that you have to make in order to keep up your environmentalist-based work? Or um, do you think that there are any sacrifices that you need to make in order to keep up environmentalist-based work? Um, yes. I mean, I would say that there's some projects that, you know, I need to maybe just say no to. Um, But that's also another sort of pull and struggle in the sense that like, I would say being an artist is one of the like hardest careers you could choose, because, you know, you're always chasing after the next sort of paying client, right? And so I feel lucky that I've gotten to a point where I can sort of turn down projects that don't align with my values. But there were things along the way, you know, that, of course, I just had to say yes to everything because I I needed to, to, to make, you know, my rent or whatever. So I think at this point, it's gotten to a place where, like, my message is very clear and people now come to me because of my message and they want art that portrays that message and those values. So that is, I guess, very fortunate for me. I'm very happy that I'm, I'm in that place with my work. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And you had mentioned... Uh... The issue of, you know, being an artist and working for clients and you there is an aspect of choice that you don't get to have. Um, and Max, we were wondering if there are any barriers similar to that that you think you interact when trying to tour in a less plastic based or more eco friendly way that are just almost inevitable. Well, it's kind of the same thing. Musicians and artists are often at the mercy of their clients. So you don't get a full not clients, but uh, for us 
but like we don't get to decide the room we play in right and then we show up to a venue and they could be the nicest people in the world but they're not even running it cleanly at all and but we don't really have a say in that so what we try to do is just say like when we show up to the venue like hey don't give us these two pallets of water (laughs) and we'll go handle it ourselves. And that's kind of like baby steps. But then we try to tell our friends' bands to do the same thing. But I'd say it's hard. I mean, like most bands, there's a lot of obstacles because most bands don't make that much money. And when you don't make that much money, you're forced to make decisions based on price. And making decisions based on price, whether it's the food you eat, the places you stay, the routes you take, the ways you travel somewhere, if it's all based on price, right now, most cheap things aren't environmentally safe or not, that's a terrible way of saying it, aren't that sustainable. You know, like we've stayed in, I can't tell you how many Howard Johnsons in the middle of nowhere. And them as an establishment, great, but I can't control the practices they have in the motel rooms, right? And the amount of waste they're accruing, the amount of chemicals they're using on the beds. And you really take a step back and you're like, wow, this entire operation we're doing is not that conscious. So I still think we have a long way to, there's a lot of obstacles. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I love air travel, but you, you think about, you take a step back and you're like, okay, this is, we're contributing to this thing that's just eviscerating the entire globe so the only thing you can do is just try to well for us like i said i'm not sure how much more we're going to use our platform for this anymore because we don't want people to think we're doing it for marketing purposes because i think that's not good but we were trying to use our platform to do the right thing for a long time because we felt like that's how we could make change but even so with social media everything gets misinterpreted so we're just going to move silently from now on (laughs) and try to do what we can in our personal lives and on tour. Yeah, and honestly, sometimes that is the best you can do. I can totally see the struggle of trying to not come off as marketing. Yeah, especially because most people don't know you. Sorry, but most people don't know you personally. They just know you as like a, a thing on a screen. And so they don't know that we really are, we really do believe in all these things. It's not for more followers or anything. Do you think overall the music industry would be more willing to change to be more regenerative or sustainable? Or do you think that's going to be something that we need to push for? Absolutely. It's a bunch of very emotional, liberal-minded people who always want to do the right thing. But they just don't know how because they don't have the means to do so. But generally speaking, the music industry is pretty green. Except like, you know, I haven't spent much time in Nashville but I know there's like sectors of it that are you know, not, not as a whole. I think Nashville is an amazing place, but I, I'm not sure if the industry as a whole is the same as like the punk industry that I grew up in, which is all pretty, pretty progressive stuff. I'm going to shift over to Katie. How much room do you think there is in art for more environmentalist infrastructure? I think there is quite a bit of room. I believe that there are a lot of artists who do care a lot and they they um, try and bring that into their art or at least they, like Max was saying, will use their platform. Um, but I think that there's not enough of it in there. I feel like a lot of people just get caught up in making pretty things or just like doing whatever they can with the resources that they have without having um, sustainability or regeneration as sort of a foundation. I feel like 
I mean, personally, I feel like that just should be a foundation of all the work that humans do at all ever. Um, if we want to continue on the planet, you know, I mean, I feel like we've ignored it for too long. And I just worry so much about like the mass destruction that we are causing. Uh, and, you know, even with like the handful of us who are trying really hard to make a difference and who are actually taking steps to, you know, mitigate our impact on the planet, it's there's still too many people in general who are, are not really caring at all. But then, you know, people get so caught up in like movie stars and and you know, these artists who they really are fantastic. Um, they're very talented, but you know, what good is all that if we don't have food or the environment, right? I mean, a UN official says that at the rate we're going, we have maybe 60 harvests left with the topsoil that we have on this planet. So once you kind of take that and internalize it, I feel like, how can you even really think about anything else? Like, if there's no food, there's no people, there's no art anyways, right? So we need to, I think just everyone needs to just have this huge paradigm shift, which I'm trying really hard in my work to encourage and create and build momentum behind um, so that, you know, we can continue to make the beautiful work that we do as humans. Because like I said, you, you can't if we don't have sustenance. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good question because my, my background is in architecture and I studied in grad school uh, like sustainable planning too, so sustainable urban design. Um, I think I'm not super educated about sort of like RAND infrastructure for like the whole U.S. and like rural areas so much because I've spent most of my life in, in cities. I would say for me, like I'm very drawn to the urban sort of planning and design side of things. And I believe that um, as we're planning cities, we need to take into account more the nature and the natural habitat instead of just coming in and just bulldozing it all, right? So in permaculture, one of the principles is observation. Like we really just need to spend a lot more time observing what's going on there um, before we come in and kind of start messing with it. And so, you know, that's going to take into account all the things like the creatures that are there, the ecosystems, the water and how it functions, the um, amount of like sunlight that you get, the the earth that's there, taking samples of the soil and seeing um, what kind of resources you have there before you just kind of cover it up or dig it and pull it away from the site you know and I think that we can do a better job of really embracing those things that are there naturally instead of just just completely bulldozing it and then making it so that you know all the water washes off the site and goes into the drains and takes all this dirt and toxin with it and puts it into the streams like there's much better ways of doing it in terms of I really visualize like planting trees like fruit trees even next to the roads right and there's science that shows that you can actually water those trees with the natural storm water that comes through even if it has some toxins with it and that that tree if it's right in the gutter right next to it it will absorb the water and those toxins it will filter the toxins out and the tree will get watered naturally and then someone just walking down the street on their way to work can you know if they need a snack oh hey look there's an apple tree i'm just gonna grab an apple tree off there or an apple off the tree right and and so for me, like, I know that's not specifically art related, but one of my other passions is regenerative gardening. And I think that that is something that needs to really be brought into the urban planning. So I think that we need more like 
urban gardens and they need to be accessible to everyone, if not like people doing it in their own yards, but at least they have access to fresh, I guess, organically grown, ideally even regeneratively, where it's like within the cycles of nature, there's no waste, there's closed loop systems, and um, you everybody has access to that. So there's also way too much like concrete and asphalt, and we can do better in terms of like making the ground more permeable so that the water sinks down and in instead of it all just washing away because we're we're causing this desertification of our of our cities by just washing all the water away when we actually really need it to kind of sink down and into the earth. And as far as the art side of it goes, um, I'm actually working on these new service offerings called that I'm calling Edible Artscapes. So I really want to uh, work with specifically um, youth, um, like high school to college age, like like you guys, like you, Polly and Dorothy, actually, and teaching um, permaculture principles. And then we go in and we go into people's yards and we install a um, permaculture garden for them. And we also teach them how to uh, maintain it. And then that way they have access to this fresh food and medicine. And it, it helps so many problems at the same time, because then, you know, their health is increased. There's less transportation of the food from thousands of miles away. There's less plastic packaging used and we're reconnecting with the land you know we're reconnecting with with nature through our food and our homegrown medicine kind of a cool segue because uh i we kind of know each other through like grow house stuff katie and i did their seed to seed program and i remember they showed us they were like we had a day focusing on like monoculture versus permaculture they showed us like all these farms that are really just like you know it's corn it's corn and the soil is horrible um and then they showed us this like kind of like permacultural garden and it I mean it is kind of an interesting an interesting art form really just because you can what we eat is so important and it's important to who we are and like you said like if you're eating food that lived an unhappy life you're kind of absorbing some of that um and I think that permacultural farming is kind of it's a really it's a beautiful art form because it's just so universal and you can I mean you can really argue that a lot of art is inaccessible but like if we can do it right, we can have everybody eating like this beautiful food that's like cultivated in a nice, like happy way, like animals and stuff. Um, that was kind of a cool segue. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. And we love to see that your your permaculture principles are figuring into your art practice. Like that's why we brought you on. And uh, something I was wondering is, what do you look for in a site for, say, an outdoor art installation and kind of move towards the artistic side of your practice? Mm-hmm. I, a lot of times, don't have a lot of choice when it comes to that, just because I'm sort of <laughs> at the mercy of whatever the client has available, you know, and they're searching for an artist to come sort of fill that space with art. But if I have my own personal choice, which, you know, to a certain extent I do, because I can search for projects and apply for projects that align with what I'm looking for, um, I would prefer a public place where everyone has access to it, as opposed to like um, something that's a little more like private um, in a, in somebody's yard or something, which that's good too, but but I would prefer to have more people have access to the art and that it's like wide open and it's big, it's grand. I like working with um, you know existing architecture and using that as sort of like the foundation for whatever the art is, especially a mural, which is pretty obvious. But um, when I'm doing, I'm actually 
a finalist for um, this big project in Sun Valley, which they're redeveloping and they're putting some big like monumental pieces in this kind of redeveloped area, which is more three-dimensional. And so that's kind of like somewhat new territory for me in the art world. You know, I've done large 3D sculptures, if you consider like buildings, such things like functional sculptures, I guess. Um, But these are more like monumental 3D art pieces that are slightly maybe less functional. There we have kind of a choice of site actually where we can um, choose to make a proposal for. And so I think I'm definitely drawn to the places that are more like places where community can gather. I kind of envision a not just creating like a piece that's there and people walk by and they're like, oh, that's pretty, whatever. But it's something that's very impactful and it can even encourage the community to gather around it or in it and create sort of like a, a ceremony. So it's like a, a form of creative placemaking, right? So so it will have this regenerative message behind it, but it will also help build community at the same time. How much have you, um, I, I sorry, you, you were talking about food and 60 Harvest left, and it really, it got, I listened to this podcast the other day about um, lab-grown meat and uh, how they're, tr- they're the lab-grown meat, lab-grown fish and everything, they're trying to end eventually and over over abusive agriculture and livestock and everything i think that's going to probably play into this in the, in the next 10 years because it seems to me like no downside <laughs> you know you got less intensive agriculture so you've got less animal to human transmission of potential diseases again but then you've also got uh less greenhouse gases by cow farts all this kind of stuff I think that's going to be part of what you're saying How, because you're, they're right. There is only 60 harvests left. I, obviously I'm talking about animals, but it's kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, they definitely go hand in hand. I, I think so you were talking about being vegan, Max, and I was actually vegan for a year because I had learned about the devastation that the animals create the way that we raise them and, you know, harvest them and whatnot. But what I learned in further research is that it's it's what's really important is actually reintegrating the animals and the plants. So we, that's how nature did it. The reason our topsoils were so fertile in the U.S. plains was because of the buffalo. Like there's just really important interaction that, first of all, you have, right, the plants that grow, like the grass, and they um, harvest sunlight, or sorry, they turn sunlight into food. Uh, They turn carbon into sugars that they then feed into the soil. Um, The animals come and they eat the plants, but they also trample the plants into the ground and they um, poop and pee and they fertilize it that way, right? And so, but then they can't stay too long because they'll overgraze and then they'll kill that area. So then the predators have their part to play where they come in and they push them to another area. And so what I've realized is that, you know, we can't, segregate things anymore everything has to be reintegrated the plants and the animals and and it is actually very healthy for us to to eat meat just not very much and it has to be raised properly and um, with a good life too because you know if you're if you're eating animals that have suffered you're you're eating those emotions into yourself and it's causing us to be sad as well i'd say um this actually it t- this kind of touches on what both Katie and I were saying is if you want to get into art and sustainability and the cross between the two, the one thing 
if you're truly an artist and you really want to do art to make something new and to make something that gives someone that experiences your art some sort of catharsis, right? The only way you can do that is if money does not come into the question because the second money, the second you're doing something because you're getting, because me phrase this differently. You're going to get paid for your art and every artist should get paid for their art because it's hard work and we both make livings off of art. But I'd say it's really important to, I'll just use a person, personal example. I do guitar lessons. Dorothy's one of my guitar students online. And that allows me to have like a little bit of comfort to where the art we're making, the band, the music we're making isn't necessarily like it needs to be big. It needs to be big. It needs to be big so that we can make money. And then that starts negatively influencing the art. And actually when the art's negatively getting influenced by money, you start making decisions, like I was saying before, that are not environmentally conscious at all, you know, because you're doing things based off of monetary. So it's really easy as an artist, which is this pure express, expressive format to forget what you're actually doing if you're if you need to like make ends meet. So you the the, the goal is to just separate the two. You're gonna need to make ends meet, but don't have the art be simply thinking it needs to be money because then you start making bad decisions. And that's my one piece of advice for young artists is try to figure out a way to be to to sustain your life so that you can make real art that's not bending the knee towards popularity. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of brings up a cool opportunity for a shout out. There's a local artist, um, Mo Graham, who Polly and I worked with, and she's amazing. But she, um, on the project we worked with her on, she was like, you know, go to this store, Recreative, which is on Santa Fe, and any Denver artists who need supplies should go there. It's like a thrift store, but people just bring in all their art supplies, and it's amazing. And so, I don't know, shout out to a Denver business, shout out to a Denver artist, but check it out because it's great and check Mo Graham stuff out too because it's great yeah thank you so much for coming this is great and then Katie where can we find your art yeah my website is www.katiecasper.com and that's spelled k-a-t-y and then casper like the ghost I'm also on instagram at uh, katiecasper underscore artist well we are called swimmers and it's S W M R S with no vowels. And one of the M's is gone. It's a, I don't ask me why, but if you type that into Spotify, you'll find us. Uh, if you type it into YouTube, you'll find us Apple music, Amazon, SoundCloud, everything we're there. Um, and I will say we got, music for all kinds of listeners dorothy can attest to this we've got soft music but we've got pretty pretty hard music as well and so it fits for every day so go ahead and check us out